0: Thank you, O oh Lord, for allowing us to be before you, creator of the universe, our recreator, our redeemer, our friend. Thank you, God, for, for being our God. You created us to worship, and it is so true when we do, that we recognize that this is what we were created for, God it's what you've made us for it's the right place to be it feels good and we look forward to to being able to worship without the hindrance of sin without the distractions in our flesh one day Lord as we would continue now would you remind us that to worship we worship with your word we worship by listening to the words of you Jesus when you said be careful how you hear May we be careful how we hear this morning. Would your spirit have his way with us? In the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, yesterday your elders were sequestered away in the Cambridge room at Peak and Peak. Uh, we were there for a day-long retreat with Reverend Dennis Episcopal, who just shared his story and poured into us. Very good, good time. I first met Dennis about 15 years ago. I went back to Appleton to to do a, a wedding. Uh, we were doing one together, and it was, uh, he was the new senior pastor at Appleton. Well, there's a, a immediate chemistry, at least on, on my part, I Maybe he thought I was a knucklehead. I don't know, but I, I enjoyed him. And uh, we about a year later, they called me back to come back to Appleton. And I, my assumption was that uh, I was going back. I was going to finish my days as the youth pastor there. It was going to be, uh, uh, that was the plan. God had other plans, obviously. And one of them was just to pour into me uh, that that those years I was I was there. Dennis is a graduate of University of Massachusetts. He was there in a running scholarship. Then, when he was living the fast life in New York, Jesus kind of tapped him on the shoulder and said, "I've got other plans for you." He went to Alliance theological Seminary he 's finishing up his doctorate at um, Denver Seminary right now He's been uh, the senior pastor at Appleton uh, for the last 15 years, plus um, the church has, has moved tremendously under, underneath him. He's an uh, NFL chaplain. Uh, unfortunately, we up in Wisconsin have not been able to knock the New York Giants thing out of him. He still has that running through his veins, being a native of New York. But he is uh, a mentor to me. I still call him on a regular basis. He's my friend. Um, but even beyond that, this morning, he is God's messenger for us. This is not a, a, an accidental time. This may be the only time we have. And I believe God wants to speak to us. So would you even pray in your own heart right now? Just a simple prayer. God, is there something you want to share with me this morning? And as you do, would you welcome with me uh, Pastor Dennis Episcopal?
1: It is so good to be with you here. Been looking forward to this for a long time, to getting to see Erie, the church here in Erie. I did not consider him a knucklehead. Uh, There was instant chemistry. And we did actually something with Mark that we rarely do. I mean, usually when you have a pastor come back to a church, it doesn't work. And the reason is, is because they change and the church changes. But it worked with Mark. And we had a great ministry. He actually took our youth program at the time. That was in disarray and had uh, really needed some help and Mark did a tremendous job and just his integrity and character was what was needed in that place uh, besides the fact that he grew that group. But just for him to be there to bring back some integrity back to that whole ministry was was crucial to our church. So it was great. He's a good friend. Uh, my wife and I, uh, my wife Judy is right there. Judy, wave to these people so they get to see you there. Judy is uh, from the Midwest, she's from Ohio, I'm from New Jersey, you'll pick up that accent at some point. But we've been in um, um, Appleton now for uh, 15 years, I think we're starting our 16th year of ministry there. Not always been easy. Um, I remember when we first went there, we didn't expect to go there. We thought God was calling us to North Jersey, but uh, it became very clear that we were to be in Appleton, Wisconsin. And uh, we knew our kids were going to struggle with this. Our kids were small, but they were still locked into their friends and their school and their sports. So we took pictures of the soccer fields and talked to the soccer league and and took pictures of the school and where we where we might live. And we came. We took the kids. We we took them out to Chili's and we said, Guess what, kids? God's calling us to Appleton, Wisconsin. And my daughter said, Do they speak English there? <laughs> in the united states christina but that began uh, a journey and it's been absolutely wonderful i'm going to talk about it here in my message but there's a great love affair going on now between myself and this church and it's just uh, wonderful it's a great privilege i tell them this often it's the greatest privilege for me to pastor you i mean it's just wonderful that's what God does between a pastor and a church. He really does. I mean, he he brings you together. And that's really what I want to talk about today as we look at the book of Philippians, Pastor Paul's joy. Uh, This is the Apostle Paul. And uh, what made him happy? What made him joy-filled? So the question begs, you know, what makes a pastor happy? What makes a pastor happy? Is it a congregation that can't wait to hear him preach on Sunday? Is it the offering going halfway down the aisle and they have to empty the... the, the because we got got too much money, so we are going to empty the... Pa- what, what makes a pastor happy? Well, I came up with a list of my own. I kind of tried to brainstorm this. It came up. What makes Pastor Dennis happy? Let me show you my top ten list. Number ten. Hey, it's my turn to sit in the front pew. I love hearing that. Number nine. I was so caught up in the message, I didn't even notice you went over 20 minutes. Number eight, personally, I find witnessing more enjoyable than a Packers game. Number seven, Pastor, I decided to give the church the $500 a month I was sending to Joel Osteen. Number six, I volunteer to be a permanent nursery worker for life. Number five, I love when we sing songs we've never sung. Number four, hey, since we're all here, let's start the service early. Number three, Pastor Dennis, we'd love to send you and Judy to that Bible seminar in the Bahamas in January. Forget the CNMA guidelines. Let's double your pay. And number one, nothing inspires me more. Strengthens my commitment to God like the annual business meeting. Yeah. Just some of the things I love to hear. But the Apostle Paul had great joy in his heart. Every time he he thought... Of this particular church. Now, now he he was very he brags on the Thessalon, uh, uh, Thessalonica church a lot. The, the letter to the Thessalonians tells us that. But, but Paul had a special place in his heart for one particular church in the New Testament, and it was the Philippian church. That's why the theme of that book is joy. Church should be a place that brings joy. I mean, shouldn't it? I mean, you should, want, you should look forward to coming to church. I came from a tradition where it was a kind of a chore to go in. In fact, you went there. It was how fast you can get out. But church should be a place of great joy for not only the pastor, but the people as well. I tell people who are sheepishly trying to confess to me sometimes that they've been away from the church for a while. And, I, and they, they think I'm going to ask them about attendance. And I say, Jesus, oh, you know, I hope you missed us. I hope you miss being here. Church should be the absolute highlight of your week. It really should. It should inspire you. It should rejuvenate you. It should inform you. It should motivate you. It should bless you. Philippi had that kind of impact on the Apostle Paul. Now, let me tell you about Philippi. Philippi held a unique place, not only in Paul's heart, but in church history. I don't know if you realize this or not, but Philippi was the first Christian church in Europe. Philippi would be in modern Greece today, but it was, it, was a, it was the first city in Europe to hear the gospel. Paul had been in a place called Asia Minor, which is Turkey, and he had a dream one night of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so he and Timothy sailed west across the Aegean Sea. They landed across that sea to a city called Neapolis. And they walked a few miles down the road to this city called Philippi, which was a Roman center at that time. The main language was Latin, although they spoke some Greek because there was a lot of commerce there, a lot of ships going in and out. It was a port city and they they were famous also for gold mines. But on this Sabbath day... Paul looks for people who are worshipping. Now, where does Paul look when he goes to a city? He goes to the synagogue first, right? You know his pattern, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. So he's looking for the synagogue, but obviously, there's no synagogue in Philippi. But he hears about a group of Jewish women who are on the outskirts of town, on the banks of a river, and they're praying there. And in Acts chapter 16, it tells us how Paul makes his first contacts there and a woman by the name of Lydia. She is a dealer in purple cloth and and she hears the gospel from Paul. She commits her life to Christ. She's saved. And soon a church is born in Philippi. It's a vibrant church, a growing church, a very generous church. And it gladdens the heart of the Apostle Paul when he even thinks about Philippi. From from Philippi, his companions go south. But wherever he goes, he's not only prayed for, but he's financially supported by these people in Philippi. Okay. Now, fast forward. Years have passed. Paul is writing this letter now from a Roman prison. He's in prison. And he's writing it to thank those believers in that city. Epaphrodites, who's one of the members of this church at Philippi, has just arrived with a financial gift from the church for Paul for his needs while he's in prison. And so Paul writes them back to thank them and to remind them of how much joy, how much happiness they bring to his heart every time he thinks of them. There is a love relationship going on here between this pastor and this local church. And what I want to do this morning with you is look at why that is. I mean, why was he so happy and so joyful when he thought about the church in Philippi? The Bible tells us why in the first chapter of the letter. The first thing he says is he says, I'm joyful about our partnership. Our partnership. Chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. So what is joyful? What is Paul joyful about? First thing he says is, I'm joyful the fact that we get to do this together. We're partners. The Greek word that's used there is the word... Koinonia. Now, many of you know what that word means, koinonia. Christians use it even today. It's mostly translated fellowship, fellowship. Sometimes it's translated communion, but mostly fellowship. And it's the idea of a common interest, a common experience, a common affection for one another. Koinonia, fellowship. I'm interested, though, that when the translators in the NIV translation sit down to translate this verse, they translate to the English word partnership instead of fellowship. Hmm, That's interesting. Paul is saying here, they're saying that Paul's saying, I thank God because of our partnership in the gospel. Now, 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 wait a minute. Partnership is a little deeper than the word fellowship, right? Because partnership involves what? Commitment. You're a partner in a business, you sign a contract because now you're committed to a common goal or work. The translators obviously felt that a better description of Paul's intention here, and from the context of the chapter I would agree, that the idea Paul's trying to communicate here is it brings me joy every time I think of our partnership in the work of the gospel. In leading people to Jesus Christ. He's not just talking about getting together here for coffee and donuts. Or for potluck. He's saying we get to do the most important work in the world. We get to do it together. This weekend I was at the board retreat. And I'll tell you what. You couldn't you couldn't help but feel that in the room that, you know, you have a group of leaders and, and folks, I'm telling you, I, I, I go around the world to talk about leadership. I visit a lot of churches and it's, it's rare when you get a board that not only likes each other, but likes doing the work of Christ together as partners. And you got that here in that church. That's, that's like gold. That's tremendous. The unity with the pastor and the board and the way everybody wants to grab on to the vision here. Paul is writing this from Rome. He's writing to people far away from him. But he's reminiscing and he's thinking back and he's saying, wow, I remember what it was like. We were partners in the work. I've been in Appleton Alliance Church now for 15 years, like I said, and um, I didn't think I'd last that long, frankly. Uh, I'll never forget the first day I arrived in Appleton, Wisconsin. I got off the plane. It's just, folks, this is February of 1997. <laughs> it is 20 degree below wind chill. I never felt that on this face before. I could not even talk. I got off the plane. I got into the into the uh, terminal area, and I'm talking to my wife, and I'm going, oh, I, I can't even talk. Is that cold. And they said, Pastor, first of all, you're already committed. Can't go back. <laughs> then they said, we got a surprise for you. We're going to take you to an Italian restaurant. So I'm Italian. They said, we're going to take you to the Italian restaurant. They took me to an Italian restaurant. I passed by the kitchen. There's all Mexicans in there. <laughs> But that was 1997. And it was difficult, folks. I mean, it was really difficult. Uh, but, but we persevered. In fact, uh, I, they, I told the board yesterday, I said, uh, you know, when we built our first phase, we moved the church to 40-acre campus. And, and everybody wanted to know what was going on in my mind because it was so much hard work, so much prayer, so much obstacles we had to overcome. And they said, Pastor, you must be so happy today. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? And I I told him, honestly, what I'm thinking about is I'm so glad I didn't quit. Because I wanted to quit. I wanted to quit a lot of times. But God wouldn't let me. And I'm so glad he didn't allow me to quit. Because this is what he had in mind. In 1997, we went there. There was a little over 500 people. Today, there's over 3,000 people that go to that church. And here's the best part. A third of them have come to Christ in that time. We had Dr. Rick Mann from Crown College in uh, last uh, two weeks ago to to preach in our pulpit. And he said... Uh, He said, Dennis, you didn't know this, but the last service, I just took a little survey among your people. And I said, how many of you have been here longer than seven years? Less than 10% of the people raised their hands. That's people just coming because they want to hear the message. They want to hear what's going on here. What are these people talking about, about Jesus and being born again? They're coming. But it was tough. But I'll tell you what, I tell my guys all this time, I tell my staff this and I tell the board this. You know, we are working really hard right now. And this is sacrificial and this has cost us a lot. But let me tell you something, folks. One day, trust me, one day we're going to be in some stinking nursing home eating stewed beets and we are going to be thinking back to the glory days and the glory days are going to be this we're not going to remember the buildings we're not going to remember any of that stuff here's what we're going to remember we got to do it together we were partners we got to see God work we got to see God do something new and great and special and even use us in a place called Appleton, Wisconsin he did it it was amazing and we got to be partners that's what Paul's doing Paul's in a prison. He's not there. But he's reminiscing. And he's saying, boy, what makes me joy-filled, what makes me happy, is I remember you and I, we got to do this together. Pastor people together. Yeah, special. Number two. He says, I'm joyful about our deep affection for one another. Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in change or, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection, with the love of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I have you in my heart. Do you know, in, in the Greek there, let me tell you how it, how it actually plays out. It says, I long after all of you in the bowels of Christ Jesus in the bowels of Christ Jesus? Well, in the Greek mind. you know That was like the intestines, the internal organs. That was the deepest place you could go inside of a human being. And Paul is saying, that's how much I love you. You're you're in the deepest part of my heart. My love for you is deep. There's no critical spirit going on in this church. There's no rebellion going on. It's not like Corinth. You know, Corinth. There are all kinds of problems in Corinth. All kinds of problems. There's disunity. There's conflict between pastor and people. Not Philippi. You know what they're doing in Philippi? They're loving on each other. Now, were there differences? Absolutely. You don't think there were differences? There's differences in every church. In our church, we got all kinds of differences. We got people from different economic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, cultural and ethnic backgrounds, uh, theological backgrounds, all kinds of differences. And yet... We're loving on each other. And, and let me tell you something. The community looks at that and they, they take notice. They realize this church is a whole dif- different kind of people coming here, especially from different church backgrounds. We took a vote. You know, the bank went crazy when the, we just took our vote for our uh, vote for our loan. We, we, we're building a twenty three million dollar expansion because I've got four services, packed services, and I got a worship center that seats eight hundred and fifty people. So you don't have to be a rocket science to figure it out. I need a bigger box. I need a bigger worship center. So we're, we're building one, $25 million with the gymnasium. with Because, you know, if you build a place for adults, you've got to build a place for kids. you gotta place, You got to build a place for teens. you got to build a place for the Iwana people. So the whole thing is about $25 million, soup to nuts. And we needed uh, uh, to finance that. We were, we, our first loan was $7.5 million. You know how quickly the people paid that back? This is amazing. They paid it back in seven years. Isn't that crazy? It's like over a million dollars in principal besides the mortgage payment. These people have both feet in. They're ready to do it. And so we came to them and we said, okay, we've been double paying that mortgage. We're going to, and, and to be safe, we can afford a $15 million mortgage because we've been paying that. We are need about $16.5 million mortgage. Now, folks, I never thought, in my wildest dreams, I would ever sign a note for $16.5 million. And I told the board yesterday, I, when I signed that note at closing, my head elder, my head board member said, You're not going anywhere. <laughs> you don't sign a $16.5 million dollar note and go anywhere. But we had to take a boat to do that. You know, like we can, in the alliance, pastors, they can't borrow a dime. I mean, it's the people we took a vote you know what the vote was to do that 95% wow and I mean oh, I got all kinds of people I mean I got real conservative people I got all kinds of people but that's said, listen we're partnering we're together in this thing we love each other we trust each other we're in and again I can't tell you how I got I got all kinds of folks in this church i got factory workers, housewives, professionals, business owners, lawyers, electricians, doctors, students. i got people from all kinds of religious backgrounds. We're in a mostly predominant Catholic community, Catholic and Lutheran. Almost 45% of the people who come to Appleton Alliance Church are former Roman Catholics. Now, let me tell you, that has caused problems for the Catholic Church. So I get a call last fall from the Bishop of Green Bay. Not him, but one of his uh, lieutenants. And he calls me up and he says, uh, the, the bishop want to, wants to meet with you, Pastor Dennis. And I said, really? He says, yes. I said, why? He says, wait, guy, all well, these people come to your church. He wants to talk to you about that. I said, okay, well, when you want to meet? He said, I'm not joking. He said, how about Halloween? <laughs> okay. Where do you want to meet? Let's meet in a, uh, there's a kind of a, uh, a uh, banquet hall, and it'll be empty. No one will be there. Well, who's going to be there? Well, I'm going to be there, and uh, a couple other board members and the bishop. I said, well, who can I bring? He said, no, we just want you to come. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking like the godfather. i got to place some heat in the bathroom or something. My back to the wall. But I'll tell you what, it was a very interesting experience. I mean, he was a very humble man. He had there with eight and a half by eleven pad. And he basically started firing away. First question, why did you leave the Catholic Church? I got to give my testimony to the bishop. Wonderful. Second question, why are Catholics coming to your church? And, and, and you know what, I don't care how much you try and prepare for a conversation like that. It's by the seat of your pants and what the Holy Spirit prompts you in that moment. And I said, this is what came out. So it popped into my head. I said, said, Bishop, I'm going to give it to you straight. It doesn't hurt being on the highway. It doesn't hurt having nice children's ministries. But that's not why people come. Most of the reason why people come, it's message central. We preach Jesus Christ crucified who is the only way we can get to heaven but it's good news it doesn't depend on our works it doesn't depend on our label whether we're Catholic or Protestant or anything else he has died and rose again and because of that if you put your faith there and are born again and give your life to him he gives you eternal life guaranteed and covers all your sins past, present, future sins that's good news people want to hear that he says to me Dennis you're right and then one of his lieutenants says do you think we could hire you as our consultant for the (laughs) and you better ask the bishop I don't think he really wants to do that so I got Catholics I got Baptists I got Methodists Lutherans Jews Brethren Assembly I got all kinds but we're loving one another And let me tell you something why that can happen. Three reasons why people can love one another, even though they come from different backgrounds one conservative, one more liberal, all kinds of things. Is number one, because we're attached to Jesus Christ. When you're attached, let me, listen to me. When you're attached to Jesus Christ, the Bible says the love of God is poured out into your heart, which gives you the ability to love people that sometimes you don't have chemistry with. Secondly, we get it. We understand at our church. We got bigger fish to fry than argue about stupid little things because we got kingdom work to do. That's important. And thirdly, we realize our witness depends on it. People are watching us. And they're watching one thing. How we love on each other. John chapter 13. Jesus said it really clearly. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must circle that in your Bible. Love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I do a survey, just a personal survey. I'm asking this question all the time. Why do you come to Appleton Alliance Church? Tell me, come on. Why do you why do you go? Well, some people say I I come because I want to be taught the bible another person says i want to i want to come because i like the music i like the worship i asked the kid from our discovery land i said why do you why do you come to why do you come to church here he said you know what pastor he said i come here to play now if you know let me me hit the pause button here let me tell you something you know anything about our children's director Our kids just don't play at Appleton Light. They know their Bible in and out. They know the gospel. They're witnessing the gospel. We're very serious. It's not babysitting. We train our kids to be disciples. But here's what he's telling me. Because he he expounded on that a little bit. I get what he was saying. He was saying, Pastor, my friends are here. I love to come here and play with my friends. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, when I think about this church, what makes me happy? We get to partner in this thing. We partner in this great work. And secondly, we've loved on each other. I have a deep affection for you in the deepest part of my being. And I know you love me. Number three. What makes me happy? He says, he says, I'm joyful about your discernment, your discernment. Verse nine. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what's best. And may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now notice, notice two themes here. He's talking about love abounding more and more. Uh, in, but it's a love in knowledge and depth of insight. So here's the result. So that you may be able to discern what's best. That's what he's concerned about. Paul's concern is about their discernment. Now listen up. Pay attention. The most crucial issue in your life is what you're going to love in life. Your spiritual life hinges on understanding what's the best thing to love. That's what your, your life and your spiritual life hinges on. That's why the Bible always makes that connection between love and, and, and truth and what's best. It says, guard your what? Heart above everything else. Guard what you love. What you love determines your destiny. So, Pastor Paul is saying here, it brings me great joy that you're discerning, you're learning to discern what is best in life, and then you love that. Now, here's the problem. In the 21st century, most people are so confused about simple right and wrong never mind what's best that's the problem my wife and i were uh, we were doing some ministry in west africa i was uh, uh, teaching up in west africa and she was uh, working with the women and then uh she did her undergraduate work in uh in south africa and so I kind of surprised her with the trip down to South Africa. And we, we went on one of these safaris, you know, where you, you take your camera and you get up real close to the animals and you're taking pictures. It was amazing. We had a National Geographic photographer in the Land Rover with us. And he's got this long thing. And he's taken all these pictures. And you know what was amazing? I'm in the middle of Africa. Think about this. I'm in the middle of Africa. And we have, you know, you have a, a dinner at night outside by campfire, and I'm sitting there, and this photographer comes over, and he's, he's Jewish, he's from Israel. Here he's a Giants fan. And I think I'm in the middle of Africa, and I have a Giants fan next to me. Is God good or what? We start talking about the latest trades and the rookies coming up, it was tremendous. But anyway, we're, we're, we're on this safari. And they put you in Land Rovers and you got like maybe, oh, maybe six to eight couples in a Land Rover. And you're with each other for like three days. You go in the same Land Rover. So we're, we're greeting one another. And these are all couples from Europe. And as we're greeting, they look at us and they say, well, where are you from? We're from Wisconsin. We're from the States. Really? Yeah. I said, we're, we're here. Uh, we're, we're celebrating our uh, it's, uh, 25th wedding anniversary. It's part of our trip here. I said, you're married? they said yeah they said why (laughs) what do you mean why why are you married I are you folks married no none of us are married why would we get married because it's the right thing to do that's what I told them because it's maybe the right thing to do that's the problem today forget about what's best People don't even know what's right and wrong anymore. So you, Christians, should even be way ahead of the the pile here. You should be way ahead of the crowd. Because it's a much higher standard here. God is just not talking about right or wrong. He's saying, find out what's best. Not just what's good, not just what's right, but what's best. And learn to love that. You know what Satan does? He never hits his head on. What he's going to do is he's going to get your uh, focus away from what's best by taking good things like things in our life. You know, it could be work, it could be career, it could be school, hobbies, free time, games, music, sex, friends. Things that in themselves are not bad, but he gets us to focus solely on those things. And we lose our discernment about maybe what's best in life. That's what he does. And then what happens is, and because in my line of work, I'm around a lot of funerals. So I'm around a lot of people who have wasted pretty much their whole life on some things that are superficial and now they're either too old or too weak or too poor or too out of it to make any adjustments and they have, they're full of regret I should have spent more time here I should have done what was best I should have invested in what was best and loved that folks, they die rich but they die They die with all kind of powerful influence and positions in life, but they die. They die with expensive cars and expensive homes, but they die. And if you're not ready to die, you're not ready to live. You have got to think about this. You're on this earth very short time. Trust me. There's There's some people in this room who are not ready to die right now. You may have your retirement plan ready, but you're not ready to die. You may love this church, but you're not ready to die. You've got to learn to discern in life what is best. And then, listen, you, 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 you have to get your heart connected to that and love it. Lawrence of Arabia was uh, coming from the Arab lands to London, back to London in the 1930s. And he thought he would bring some Bedouins with him. Now, all they had ever experienced was living in a tent. So they went to this big city, London, and one of the most intriguing things for them, they could not believe it, was the faucets in the bathroom. Now, keep in mind, they're coming from an arid land, and, and they couldn't believe it. All we have to do is turn the knob, and the water comes out as much as you want. It's amazing. It's amazing. So when they had to go back to London and to go back to uh, the Arab lands and they were packing up to go, Lawrence heard from the hotel crew that they had taken off all of the faucets of the sinks and put them in their bags. Why? Because they believe if we have the faucet, we got the water. You and I, we're only the faucet. we got to be connected to the pipeline. Jesus is the pipeline. Jesus is the power. Let's look at those verses again. Again, we get, these are important verses. Verse 9. Do we have that? Can we go back to that? And this is my prayer. This is what he's praying for, for this church. That your love may abound more and more in what? Knowledge and depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I just did a funeral this week on Tuesday. Interesting story. I met this guy at Rotary. I'm part of the Rotary group in Appleton. And he's 86 years old. And I really didn't know him that well, but I, he would always want me to sit with him and talk to him. We never really got into any deep spiritual conversation, but he, he, had, he found out he had cancer. He had about four weeks to live, and he called me to his apartment in the nursing home. And he, said, he said, Dennis, I want you to do my service. He said, I'm Lutheran. I want to have it at the Lutheran church, but I want you to lead the service, and I want you to give the message. And so I felt like I had an open door to talk to him about spiritual things. Of course, I said, Jerry, I, I got to ask you some questions now. You want me to do the service? I got to talk turkey with you. He says, go ahead. Go right ahead. I said, well, you know, you're going to meet Jesus and he's going to have a question for you. One question. And the important thing is there's only one answer to the question he's going to ask you. You know what the question is, don't you? He says, no, I don't know what the question is. He's the question is, Jerry, why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should you get a ticket into heaven? And there's only one answer, Jerry. And you must know the answer. He says, no, I don't know the answer. I said, Jerry, I'm surprised at you. You call yourself a Christian, don't you? He says, yes. I said, you've been to Christian church your whole life. Yes. And you don't know the answer to that question? You don't know why Jesus has let you into heaven? He said, what's the answer? I said, Jerry, here's the answer. You would say to Jesus, Jesus, at one time in my life while I was living on the earth, I heard a message that said it didn't matter what my label was, whether I was Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Alliance. It didn't matter. And it didn't matter how good I was or how good a husband I was or a father or a citizen. It didn't matter how good I was or how many good things I did. That didn't matter either. The only thing that mattered is that you died on a cross for me. You died not just for the sins of the world. You died for my sins, past, present, even future sins. All the sins. You died for me. And I, at one point, I came to stop trusting in anything else and put my total belief in trust. That because of your death and your resurrection, that's enough to have all of my sins covered and... I confessed you with my mouth as Lord. Meaning, I also at that moment gave up control. I told you, Jesus, you go in the front seat and take the steering wheel. I'm going in the back seat. You're leading my life from now on. I surrender everything. You take control. And at one time in my life, Lord, you know I did that. And his eyes are like saucers. And he says to
0: me, Dennis,
1: I believe that. I want that. And he said, not only that, I want you to. That's good news. And he said, I want you to write that down because when my daughters come this week, I want to tell them that good news. 86 years old. Jerry got in touch with the pipeline. You want to be ready to die. There are no shortcuts there are no gimmicks there, there's no easy way you need to completely and passionately get on your knees every day and acknowledge Jesus I cannot do this life I cannot fix my life I cannot do anything without you you are my master you are my lord you're my savior and I belong to you you lead I follow you want me to, 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 uh, to, to make rocks every day I'll do that whatever you want me to do I'm totally surrendering my life to you. And you are my salvation. When you do that, Christ then takes your life, fills you with the Holy Spirit, and he will produce in you exactly what that verse says. A a life filled with good fruit that will last for eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. Lord, what good news. Why? Why would anybody turn this down? Just like my friend Jerry said, I believe that. I want that. Why would I turn it down? Maybe there's somebody here who's been playing around with you. Yes, they're here. Yes, they love you. Yes, they believe in you. Yes, they respect you. But they have not surrendered their life to you. They've not trusted in you totally to save them. And I pray, Lord, today's the day. What does it take to simply believe? Stop doubting. Believe and surrender. Believe and surrender. Believe and surrender. That's the gospel. And Lord, if you do that, you promise not only to fill us with your Holy Spirit, but to seal us to the day of redemption. Thank you so much, God, for that good news. And I pray for this church. I pray it will bring joy to Pastor Mark's heart. And I pray it will bring joy to every single person in this congregation that we get to do this stuff together. And we're committed to love on one another and discern what's best and end up loving that. Would you do that here, Lord, again and again and again? And now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father, who loved us and by his grace has given us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you now for every good deed and word. And God's people said, amen, amen.